So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. I hear you had a pretty busy summer. I did. I sat down with a whole bunch of candidates for the conservative leadership. We chatted about Indigenous affairs, the environment, the youth vote, and just about their lives in general. I guess which should obviously be pointed out that you had these conversations with them over the summer. So it was before the Canadian values debate that Kelly Leach has now ruffled up. Yeah, it was before that whole disastrous mess opened up. Do we have anything to say about that? Or I I think it's fucking bullshit. Yeah, I think it's just a new way for people to talk about racism. So just to give our listeners a bit of a recap, Kelly Leach sent out an email to her supporters asking whether or not immigrants should be screened on the basis of values. Presumably this was a data mining exercise. This isn't uncommon for campaigns to send out uh, surveys or polls or whatever you want to call them in in that sort of manner. But then, you know, when she was criticized over it, she sort of dug her heels in. And instead of saying, yeah, you know, I was just testing the waters or what have you, it was just sort of like, yeah, no, we should do this. We should be screening immigrants and refugees for anti-Canadian values without ever really defining what those Canadian values are or actually elucidating how she would, in fact, put this policy into place. Because, as we all know, there is no such thing called the thought police and we can't actually monitor people's thoughts. No, we can't. And I think it's just so interesting that she would double down on this, considering she had backtracked off the Barbaric Cultural Practices Act after the election. So she went on power in politics and she cried her adorable little tears about feeling bad that they hadn't explained this policy properly and it wasn't supposed to be as racist as it ended up sounding. But now, a full year later, she's saying, oh, yeah, let's do a similar thing. Yeah. And so this is, I guess, the part that sticks in my craw is then why cry those crocodile tears? Why make a big deal of it over the tip line? If you weren't going to stand by it, I guess it just makes you seem super disingenuous. Look, I get that every leadership contender right now is out there to sell memberships. And I get that she thinks this would sell memberships. However, 2019 isn't really that far away. So how are you going to repivot from now this when you're facing a general? It just it just seems like a mess to me. I sincerely hope that her own party and and from what I've seen by outspoken conservatives that I follow on Twitter and a lot of the conservative intelligentsia that, you know, work backroom campaigns, they've all repudiated this, um, as have a bunch of other uh, leadership contenders. Michael Chong has has come out against it. Maxim Bernier less vehemently, but but still, you know, he has come out against this. Deepak Obroy was, was another one. And then, of course, you have Michelle Rempel, who had this great tweet 
series of tweets, rather, I should say, this past week, jokingly asking what Canadian values are. Vicky, if you would do the honors of re-going through some of those tweets. Yeah, sure. So she started saying, all right, everyone of all stripes, I'll take the bait. What Canadian values are currently inadequately protected? So then she retweeted a whole bunch of values that people were tweeting at her. For example, some guy named Trevor Norris said, at Michelle Rampel, we should screen to prioritize immigrants who bake great butter tarts. That's my Canadian value. Uh, another person called Mid-Century Mike said, ending sentences with A and pronouncing about a boot. That's it. That's my tweet. And she CC'd Kelly Leach and all these so that her point would get across. That's amazing. And then she got a little serious. I won't get into that because I refuse to take this whole thing seriously. I think it's just another way for a certain kind of conservative politician who is either actually racist or being racist for money. I don't know which one's worse. I think being racist for money is worse. Because if you're actually racist, then at least you're actually racist. There's a, an ideological value to being truly racist well, versus like at least profitably purely, racist. At least be purely racist. If you're going to be racist, at least be pure to it. Okay. That's all I'm saying. That's Supriya Devetti suggesting you people be purely racist. <laughs> <laughs> so the official candidates that we have so far are Maxine Bernier, Michael Chong, Kelly Leach, Tony Clement, Deepak Obra, and Brad Trost. So we'll be talking to a couple of these guys this week and next week's show as well. Yeah, I'm actually really glad we're doing this because the leader of the opposition, of course, right now is an interim leader. It is Ronna Ambrose. Um, and while she is doing a pretty good job, I would say an excellent job of keeping the government on its toes, you know, you kind of want to settle into who that permanent leader is going to be and who's going to lead the conservatives into 2019. And even no matter what your partisan affiliation is, you should always hope for a robust and really great opposition because democracy should trump all sort of political stripe at the end of the day. The other thing I really love about this race is that you have such range. So you have a guy like Brad Trost, who is super anti-choice and really pro-traditional marriage, like heterosexual marriage. You have a guy like Deepak Obroy, who is, you know, cognizant of the fact that conservatives kind of shit the bed with the Barbaric Cultural Practices Act and the tip line. Um, and then you have, you know, Harper veterans, uh, Harper veteran, can I call them that? Sure. Do, I think you know, they're Harper veterans. Like they... Tony Clement has been around for quite some time. Yeah, he's, he's had like four jobs in yeah, Harper's government. Like he's, he's around. He's run for leader before, so it's a good range. Today we're talking to Michael Chong and Brad Trost. I'm Spree Devetti. I'm Vicky Mochama. And from Canada Land, this is Commons. This episode of Commons is brought to you by Audible.com. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while you're on the go. At the gym, during your commute, Audible.com has audiobooks from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free and it works on the iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your own books. So you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. So that means if you decide you don't like the book you choose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. So I'm listening to a book called Blackout. It's by Sarah Heppola, and it's about her relationship with alcohol. And I think that's such an interesting thing to explore when we're all encouraged to drink so much and what that really means for us as people. And just for our listeners, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash CanadaLand today to start your free trial. Again, show your support for Commons and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash CanadaLand. All right, Vicky, so what does Michael Chong's trading card say on the back? 
Michael Chong is a former cabinet leader. One of his most notable things is that he resigned from the Harper cabinet in 2006 because he opposed the prime minister's motion to recognize Quebec as a nation within a united Canada. Also on his trading card is his passing of the Reform Act, which was really meant to give more power to backbench MPs in the workings of government. He's also really big on the environment, and we get into that. All right, so let's hear it. This was in early August. You like being back home? Yeah, I miss the city. Yeah. It's the country's most dynamic, diverse city, and I miss it. Yeah. Um, Ottawa's not the same thing. But that's where the work is, right? Ottawa's changed. I lived there through school, and then I went back this year to visit a friend, and I was like, this is starting to feel more like a city. Maybe it's just because my friends are much more, you know. It's gotten a lot bigger. Yeah. Like, there's a lot more infill going on downtown with all the new condo developments. So, a lot of our listeners probably don't know who you are. If you were to write a short intro to a dating profile, what would you write? I would say that I'm a small town Ontario boy, is the kid of immigrant parents, a Chinese immigrant father, a Dutch immigrant mother, you know, who's in federal politics uh, because I believe in this country and what it stands for and because I believe in certain things. Tell us what are those things that you believe in? Well, I believe in lower taxes and balanced budgets and the efficient delivery of government services. I also believe that conservatives need to do better on environmental issues and we need to do better on democracy. We need to be more open and transparent as a party and in government. You've pushed for you know, a carbon tax and electoral reform. That kind of sounds like liberal talk. Are you sure you're with the right party? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I've, I've been pushing for our party to have a position on carbon pricing more broadly. I don't think we should rule out any options in terms of pricing of carbon, whether it's a carbon tax or it's a cap and trade system. There are a variety of mechanisms to use to put in place carbon pricing. But look, conservatives have long had a tradition of strong environmental leadership. I think we lost some of that leadership over the last 10 years. To be fair to the previous government, they did do some good work in terms of national parks Mm -hmm. and expanding national parks, but I think they didn't do nearly enough on the issue of emissions and climate change. Um, So I think we need to improve on that and change our positions on on those issues so that we can appeal to Canadians who care about this issue. But... You know, more broadly speaking, if you look further back in our party's history, we often were the party of environmental leadership. It was conservatives that created the first national parks in our country. Brian Mulroney was voted the greenest prime minister in Canadian history by environmental NGOs in 2006. Um, it was Bill Davis, a conservative who created the Niagara Escarpment Commission, which is the precursor to today's Greenbelt in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've long had uh, leadership on environmental issues, and I'd like to see our party reclaim that leadership. Where do you think that leadership got lost? Well, I think on the one issue of emissions, I think we didn't do enough to put in place plans to reduce emissions. Um, we have an opportunity here as conservatives to actually take a very strong leadership position that's very different from the liberal approach, uh, the federal liberal approach and the provincial liberal approach here in Ontario. Is there a model for that that you think could apply to Canada? Absolutely. I think the model that we should all look to is the model of the BC Liberal government. I think that's the only model that has proven to have worked in Canada. Currently in Canada, we have four provinces representing 80% of Canadians that have put a price on carbon. I disagree with the approach of three of the four provinces. I think they've got this wrong. They've put a price on carbon, but they're using the revenues to fund government programs. The province that's doing this right is the province of British Columbia that has put a price on carbon and is using those revenues to cut income taxes. And as a result, there's broad support across the political spectrum in BC from New Democratic to Conservative 
in support of this approach. In addition, I believe that British Columbia's growth and its job creation record, which is the best in the country, is in part due to this approach. So I think we should look at real live world example of how this could work and apply it across the country. A lot of young people tend to use the word Harper government as a dirty word. How would you win those young people back? Well, with a new leader comes new approaches. As I said before, we need to be more open and transparent as a party and as a government. We need to take a different position on environmental issues. And I think if we if we change our position on those issues and keep a fiscally conservative agenda of balanced budgets and lower taxes, I think that basket of policy solutions will appeal to younger people. I think if we recruit a new party leader who's from a background that many Canadians can identify with and recruit candidates that represent the diversity of this country, I think that too will appeal to Canadians. You know, my parents are immigrants to this country. I'm the first generation born here. Mm -hmm. Um, My father was a Chinese immigrant. He came here in 1952 from Hong Kong um, with no money, only four years after the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed by the Parliament of Canada. And even though the act had been repealed, those early years weren't always easy for immigrants to this country. And my mother similarly came here from the Netherlands in the 1960s, also as a an immigrant without any money. They met here and they had four kids, of which I'm one, Mm -hmm. and they built a life of hope and opportunity. And my story is the story of literally millions of Canadians who've come here in recent decades. So I think if we elect a, a new leadership to this party, recruit new candidates, that they will appeal to Canadians in large cities, Canadians from various backgrounds, because they will be able to identify with that story. Did you grow up having to bridge like those two worlds of, you know, your father's heritage and your mother's, and then you're in Canada. So that's actually three worlds you're bridging. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was an interesting experience because I never had my foot fully in one world, uh, my father's Chinese heritage or the world of my mother's Dutch heritage. So I think what ended up happening with us is that we really felt that we were nothing but 100% Canadian. You know, the lingua franca of our household was English. It wasn't Dutch or Chinese, because obviously my father couldn't understand any Dutch and my mom couldn't (laughs) understand any Chinese. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's really where my attachment to this country comes, is realizing that my primary identity is not my father's Asian heritage or my mother's European heritage. It's my Canadian identity. And that's why I feel strongly that as the country becomes increasingly diverse and increasingly polyglot, that we have to emphasize those things that tie us together. And to me, the foundation of that is Canadian citizenship. How do you convince people that the Conservative Party is going to take diversity seriously, considering some of the stuff that happened in the last election? And I'm talking specifically about the Barbaric Cultural Practices uh, Act. Well, quite simply, I think we have to put a new face on the party and we have to recruit a new generation of diverse candidates uh, to run for us in cities across this country. And I think if people see this diversity, they'll understand that the party um, has changed and that the party is open and reflects the views of millions of Canadians. What approach do you want to take with reconciliation when it comes to Indigenous people? Well, I think we have to do better in terms of outcomes for Aboriginal peoples across the country. I think it's really important that um, we do better, particularly in the area of education. I think it's clear that the federal funding for on-reserve education is not at the level it is for provinces. And I think additional money is clearly required to deliver better on-reserve education. Is that something you'll be pushing in the next legislative year? Yeah, it's something I support currently, but I think along with that increased money should come 
accountability and transparency. I think that's a really critically important part of increasing results across the country. I want to ask you a question about work-life balance. You have three young kids. You work in Ottawa. They're out here. How do you balance working in politics as well as wanting to be with your kids? Well, it's a busy life, but Carrie and I, uh, we've made it work over the last 12 years. Yeah. You know, my wife is a working mother. She works full-time at an advertising agency. So it's a busy life. But it, look, it's the life that all working families have in this country where two parents are working, trying to take care of kids at home and juggling the responsibilities of of work, of uh, children, and all the other things that come along with that. So we've made it work. And, you know, we, uh, we believe in what we're doing. I believe in what uh, I'm doing in this leadership race, and that makes it easier. Even someone like Sheryl Sandberg has said that, like, in high-functioning power-type couples where people are working at fairly high levels, the labor division is still down to women. Is that true of your relationship? We split the chores up as equitably as we can at home. Um, I do my fair share of dishes and uh, cleaning the house. I cut the lawn and do all those sorts of things outside. Carrie does not do that. Yeah. Um, but we, we split things up equitably and it makes it work better. You've got to carry your fair share of the load at home. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to do. If I called her, is that what she'd say? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's wrap up with a couple of rapid fire questions. What's your song of the summer? Uh, my song of the summer? Um, I don't know the, the, uh, a lot of the titles to the songs. I've just been listening to them on the radio. Yeah. But there's a couple by uh, Beyonce and Rihanna uh, that I've liked. Oh, okay. This is like my specialist topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you listening to the Formation song? If you rhyme, if you sing the tune, I'll recognize I'm it. I'm not going to do that. Let's move to the next question. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure? I like working on the farm on weekends, whether it's cutting up firewood or, you know, cutting the lawn. Um, it's my space for an hour or two on a Saturday just to decompress. I put on the, uh, the earmuffs, you know, ride that mower or use that chainsaw and just escape the world for a couple hours. What's your mower? Oh, it's a John Deere 185 Hydro, nice. which is a hydrostatic transmission. It's a very old lawnmower. I think it's about 25 years old. Oh, my God. It's as old as me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's your favorite cocktail? I like a Campari soda. Pick a side, Taylor Swift or Kim Kardashian? Uh, Taylor Swift. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Legalize pot or not? I think we should decriminalize certain aspects of marijuana possession. Clearly, the criminal code prohibitions on small possession of marijuana are not working. And I think going to a regime of civil remedies to address this issue is the way to go. So I'm, we'll have to see what the current liberal government is proposing. I'm hopeful that they'll propose something that will work. I saw a picture of a dog on your campaign site. What's your dog's name? Tessa. Why? Uh, well, she's a, she's a girl. Um, it's the only girl in the family, as my as my wife likes to say. She's, she said to me after our third was born, I'm, my life is uh, destined to be surrounded by boys. And at some point, a couple of years later, she says, we should get a female dog. <laughs> I said, sure. And so we got one and we were going through names that we should name it. And she said, you know, Tessa is a Dutch name. Why don't we name her Tessa? So we named her Tessa. See, my kids, they got the Chinese last name. And so when they were born, Carrie said, we'll give them all of my Scottish forebears' first names. So they're William, Alistair, and Cameron. Nice. So with the dog, we brought in the Dutch uh, heritage, and it's named Tessa. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. All right. Well, I think that's it for all our questions. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Vicky. That was me chatting with Michael Chong. Next up, we have Brad Trost. So Brad Trost defines himself as a true conservative and... 
every respect, whether that's social, economic, or what have you. He is pro-life and supports what he calls traditional marriage. So we're really getting quite the range in uh, in leadership contenders here on the conservative side. We spoke to Brad Trost yesterday as he was in the airport waiting for a flight. Brad, you announced your run for leadership while you were still in Mongolia. Why exactly did you decide to do that? I think it was actually an accident of my campaign team. Uh, the manager was launching the website and he told someone we're ready to go. I think that's all it was. It was nothing too strategic or thought out. I was out there visiting my mother-in-law and uh, with my wife and little one. And it just happened. It's one of those things when you're running with a bit of a volunteer crew at the beginning, it's not quite as smooth as some of the others would have been. Fair enough. We've all been there, I guess. Was, Absolutely. It, was it a good trip at least? Oh, it was great. I've been there before. And uh, where else do you find fermented milk stands on the side of the road where you can pick up with kids selling fermented mare's milk in old Coke bottles? It's a unique place in the world. I love it. It's my wife's homeland. And uh, someday I hope to live there a year so my little one can uh, speak the language fluent. Now, our listeners might not be familiar with you. Could you give us your online dating profile? My online dating profile? Or your elevator pitch, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever you'd like to call it. <laughs> uh, my elevator pitch, very simple. I've been a member of Parliament for 12 years. Politicians come in two varieties, compasses and weather vanes. I'm definitely a compass, and I'm a compass that points very much to the right, true conservative north, fiscal, social, cultural, across the boards. If it's a conservative position, it's a safe assumption Brad Trost points that direction. Is that why you feel you're the best person to run for the Conservative Party, because you're the, the truest and the bluest? That would be one way of approaching it. I mean, let's face it, people are in the Conservative Party for different reasons. And one of the things I've observed is people are conservative on at least one group of issues, maybe not the full way. We have a lot of Atlantic Canadian MPs who are historically pretty culturally conservative, but when it came things to unemployment insurance and regional spending, tended to be more moderate. Western Canada will sometimes have the reverse, suburban Toronto as well. So it's a bit of a mixture, but everyone pointed some direction on conservative issues. I'm not the only one in caucus who's just pointed that direction, but uh, it helps that with every uh, group, faction, wing of the party, I have something I can relate to. You said that you are a compass, you always point true north and other people are weather vanes. What does that mean for conservative politics? Well, one of the things that's been observed in Canada is the Liberal Party can campaign as Conservatives and New Democrats and then govern each which way. I don't think that's good. I think historically when you've seen Conservative governments, when they've had a major issue to rally around or when they've had something on principle, they've been more successful. Look at how Brian Mulroney came from behind to win the free trade election. A year earlier, they were floundering. When they got on a principled issue, they did well. Stephen Harper, 2005. He gave his speech on why it was being important to be essentially a principled conservative. We won in 2006. I was part of that campaign. You reverse the situation to 2015, where, let's be blunt, I ended up talking about Mike Duffy more at the doorstep than I ever wanted to. It wasn't a campaign about conservative principles and accomplishments. It was a campaign about time for a change. We're tired with the shenanigans in Ottawa. Your party has voted to support gay marriage recently as a policy position, and they've put the abortion debate, for the most part, on the back burner. As someone who feels strongly about these issues, how does it feel to be part of a party that is, you know, essentially pivoting away from this sort of stuff? Our party didn't vote to support gay marriage. Our party voted to have no position on the issue. And the argument a lot of the people made was the issue's gone, so let's not worry about it. I know a couple of the candidates are saying that's what we voted to support. We didn't. We just voted to have no position. That's very different. And a third of the party did vote to continue the position. A lot of the votes weren't that the position was wrong. 
It's just that the position had moved on. I think the issue still matters because it impacts how we see things. The whole idea that same-sex marriage is a right is being pushed by uh, provincial governments. We don't believe it's a right, so it's an issue that's still alive. That's one of those reasons why I supported its inclusion. On abortion, my party actually voted to explicitly use the word abortion at the policy convention. They said gender selection abortion is something they're opposed to. So that's what's specifically put in there. So I think I have a little bit of a different perception of what happened at the uh, convention than perhaps people who uh, just read some of the headlines. I mean, that's fair, but I, I like Harper has been known to not wanting to put the abortion debate front and center, and largely for the last 10 years, the Conservative Party has sort of strayed away from at least making it an issue, considering for the vast majority of Canadians, it's something that they don't really want to debate again. I, I would say for the majority of Canadians, it's not something that interests them. But when you look at polling on certain issues, and it depends on how and where you phrase the question, majorities of Canadians do support my position on certain things. The one I just referenced that's in our party platform, opposition to gender selection abortion, that's something that has overwhelming support to the point that even the Liberals and the NDP have put out in the past tentative statements uh, saying they're not comfortable with it. So it depends how you word the question. It depends what element of the issue is there. It's something I believe, and like I said, I'm a compass, not a weather vane. That's a direction I point. That's a direction I'll lead. So you don't believe in gender selection abortion, but do you believe that women should have a right to have an abortion if they need it or want one? I'm pro-life, period. I realize not everyone supports that position. The party will still have free votes on conscience issues. This is uh, one of them. But when I'm there, I will always vote for the pro-life position on whatever the uh, bill happens to be. Do I think it'll pass? No, not if it's a fairly aggressive position, or how shall we say this, a position that's fairly comprehensive. But I think Canadians are by and large middle ground, halfway between where I am, halfway between where the current law is. I think that's one place where we could make some progress to come more toward my position, to the more moderate Canadian middle. Is it important for you to win, or is it enough to represent a certain segment of your party and bring up issues that people aren't really talking about? I'm I'm running to win. When I first thought about this, I thought maybe I should just run. I sat down, looked at the things, talked to people, looked at organization. I'm going to have a much more national campaign than people realize. Make no doubt about it. This campaign is aiming to win. It's aiming to win by building a broad coalition. Yes, social conservative vote is almost going to back me in mass, but we're going to reach out to other demographics of the party, people who are not interested in those issues, but do have interests in other issues. So yes, we're in this to win. Full stop. Kelly Leach, uh, another conservative colleague and another contender for leadership, has floated around the idea of screening for what she calls anti-Canadian values. Are you worried that people like yourself or other social conservatives would be screened out on this basis if she's talking about gender equality and marriage equality being fundamental Canadian values? It's funny that you should ask that. When I was reading about that, I googled up what Belgian uh, what the Belgian government has said on that issue. And yeah, if you don't support same-sex marriage and you're going to answer the question truthfully, you can't go to Belgium. So I don't think she really thought through her proposals. I think it was just a tagline she threw away and then, oops, she had to draw up something on the fly. But yeah, this is one of those things. When you get a big government solution to something, what could be used to target one group of people can turn around and be used to target another group of people. And that's something I don't think she thought through 
when she made her proposal. You talked about going nationally and wanting to build a coalition. In the last decade or so, the Harper government itself became sort of a dirty word for young people. Do you think that the party or yourself can win back young people? I do. I don't know if you know this, but in Saskatoon University, my riding, the university dorms voted Conservative. Not the first time that I've won the university dorms, and I don't think it'll be the last time. And one thing we've really noticed is young people who have opportunities, jobs, and a successful career tend to actually vote Conservative. Not surprising you go into the College of Agriculture at the U of S, like I did in the last election. It's my kind of territory, engineering, commerce. So I think as we offer more productivity, you know, that's a big economist word, but let's hope, opportunity, and uh, jobs. That's the thing that I think we can offer. You've come out strongly opposed to a carbon tax in the past. Um, do you think we need laws to address the environment, or do you think it's better to sort of let, uh, I don't know, the free market or the private sector deal with it? As I said to one of my campaign team, by the time the campaign is done, it's going to be my environmental views that are more controversial than my social views. Let's hear some of your environmental views then. Well, let's start with the candidates forum Andrew Sear and Tony Clement had in uh, Sherwood Park with me. Tony wants to fulfill the COP21 treaty um, obligations. I don't think uh, we have to even worry about it. Andrew wasn't quite sure. So those sorts of issues are going to start defining us. I think the best two ways to deal with uh, global warming and climate change for Canada are twofold. One, increase our exports of natural gas. Natural gas replaces coal and leads to half as many emissions for the same amount of energy. Increase uranium, that means there's more nuclear, again, less coal. Those are not the sort of solutions you're going to hear from other candidates. Carbon tax, cap and trade, all are there to damage the economy and over-the-top regulation as well. Are you saying that you would want to ignore our international obligations? The COP21 treaty is a statement of intent. There's no teeth, no um, mechanism for enforcement. So let's be blunt. The Liberals didn't fulfill their Kyoto commitments. They're not going to fulfill their COP21. So let's quit pretending that we are too and stop uh, doing things that's going to damage our economy. Do you think, I mean, large UN-style conferences about the environment are kind of pointless to go to anyway because people are just going for them for a photo op? Do you not think there's any substantive value that countries get when they go to that? Yeah, COP21 is a photo op for hypocrites. That's the way I would describe it. The old line about Al Gore after making his proclamations about uh, water rising then went out and bought himself a beachfront house. A lot of the governments there aren't going to be taken seriously. So I really don't like the idea where we tell voters one thing when we're intending to do another. We can continue to develop technology, but I'm no big fan of government regulation, nor am I going to ever impose a national carbon tax or cap and trade if I was prime minister. I'm currently just really appreciating your candor here. So I want to ask you about a thing that's fairly important. What about Indigenous issues? Where does your platform stand on approaching reconciliation with Indigenous peoples? I think it's important. I have to say on that one, I haven't got really strong uh, views yet formed. I was one of the seconders and strong supporters of Rob Clark, my colleague, a Cree Conservative Member of Parliament in the last Parliament, when he pushed for the idea of abolishing the Indian Act to get things started and move forward. I thought Rob would, how should we say, light a match under the issue with what he did there. And so I backed him. So I think that's a good place where to start and force it to go. Aboriginal Canadians are like all other Canadians. They want opportunity, they need freedom, and they need the ability to develop their own economic resources. Do you believe in Trudeau's nation-to-nation approach? 
I think, again, that's more photo ops and not a lot of substance. One of the reasons I think the prairies are better for economic development is because the treaties are solved, unlike British Columbia. Getting treaties solved in places like BC is important, and actually delivering uh, practical solutions, I think, is also a good idea. But I'm open to more ideas on that, but those are the basic principles I'm starting with. Let's do what we'd like to call rapid fire. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> oh, I know. Six donuts for a dollar at um, at Walmart. Oh, my God. I love that, too. I sneak them so my wife doesn't know what I'm doing. It, so. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite drink? Jeez, you're talking to a guy who uh, really doesn't drink a whole lot. That's a hard one. Actually, I'm more of just cranberry juice without any alcohol. Boy, I'm sounding like a really boring guy. No, no, that's okay. Hey, so straight edge is, is people like straight edge people for politicians, right? Are you a slippers guy or a socks guy at home? Socks. And I live in an Asian household, so this has created a, a bit of a struggle between me and my wife. <laughs> Legalize pot or no? No. Are you a Taylor Swift fan or a Kim Kardashian fan? A Taylor Swift, but she keeps dumping all these poor guys, so we hate to see their hearts broken. I mean, Kim marries them, so there's something for her. And what has been your top song of the summer? Well, I've been out in Mongolia listening to Mongolian music, but I've mostly been teasing my wife with Brown Eyed Girls by, uh, well, what's his name again? It's not Springsteen, the other guy. Is it Van Morrison? Yep, Van Morrison. And just quickly, the last one, what's the hardest part while you're in Ottawa? Hardest part of being in Ottawa? Uh, not being home. I love Saskatoon. I'd sooner be there. And uh, it never feels like you're really in any place. You've got a mattress on the floor or you're living in a hotel. So, yeah, I don't like living in Ottawa. It's a great city, but it's not home. Fair enough. Thank you so much for taking the time. Okay. I think we got to run here, but we'll be fine. Okay. So that's Brad Trost and Michael Chong. We've got a couple more candidates coming up. We're still actually waiting to hear back from a couple of the conservative leadership contenders. So if Kelly Leach or Deepa Gobrai, if either of you or your staff is listening right now, please answer your emails from Kevin Sexton. So that's our show for this week. You want to make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook by typing in Canada Land Commons into that search bar. Our producer is Kevin Sexton. Our music is by Nathan Burley. And if you want to find us, go to CanadaLandShow.com. You can email us at Vicky at CanadaLandShow.com or Supriya at CanadaLandShow.com. The next episode of Shortcuts comes out on Thursday and Commons comes out on Tuesday. And if you like the show, and we know you do, then support us. Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.